0: Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host, Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. Today on my podcast, I have someone who I've recently gotten to know, but we have a lot in common, and so I'm really, really excited to have her on my show today. Sherry McKay, welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, thank you. So I didn't really say too much about you. Otherwise, the tease other uh, other than the teaser I gave, which is the fact that we have a lot in common. And Mm -hmm. I think people will realize that once you start talking about yourself. So please tell our listeners more about uh, what you're doing, what you're um, what you have been doing, and how you got here.
1: (laughs) Sure. Thank you so much, Eileen. Yes. um, Well, our connection is ESL, English as a Second Language, and in the TESOL community. And um, I guess going back to how I even got started in this community is, <laughs> you know, it's interesting how people find their path, but I,
0: right.
1: I had finished an undergrad uh, BA in, in sociology, and I'm originally from Canada. This was uh, in a small city outside of Toronto, and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I ended up getting this job with the Dean of Agriculture. And I was interviewing graduate students and professors about their research and then writing articles, you know, for the, for mm-hmm. the, uh, the community. Right. And a lot of the graduate students I was meeting were men international, you know, that were from different countries. And the more mm-hmm. I talked to them, the more I learned about how they had come to Canada with their wives, um, but their, their wives were really having a difficult time they were isolated, Um, some of them didn't speak English, for some of them it was their first experience with snow, you know, they left their families, they left everything, and their husbands were feeling guilty because they were really busy with their research, Yeah. so I just thought, well, let's bring these women together, so that's Mm -hmm. how I started, so we would get together and have like one week maybe a cooking lesson from them, and then I would do some kind of a, you know, some kind of an English class, but I had no training in how to teach English, Uh, they might teach us, uh, they were like you know, women from different countries, so teaching different languages. And then I just thought, how can I make this a career? This is what I was really passionate about. So a lot of people get into ESL because they're great with languages and linguistics. I, I'm not that person, but it was more about this: we need to get these people together to learn. And and then obviously, when you're in a new country, language is is key. So I went and got my BEd. And then my first job was in Toronto with a program called Blink, which is Language Instruction for Newcomers. And I taught uh, English to, uh, I mean, I was in a, in my neighborhood, I had students from all parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So new immigrants and refugees. So I had students from Japan and Guatemala and Afghanistan and Korea and uh, different parts of Africa. It was, I loved it. I loved that um, position. And then... Got married, and we moved to Riverside, California, which is in Southern California. And I okay. worked here at uh, in the University of UC Riverside in international education programs, in teaching, in teacher training, and program development. And mm-hmm. I, and I really loved it. There's a lot of diversity, and again, I just always love working with international students. Right. Then in 2012, we moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in Albuquerque. I got involved with a program called the Refugee Wellbeing Project. And this is out of the sociology department with Dr. Jessica Goodkind. Mm-hmm. And this study has been going on for a number of years. And what they do is they interview all new refugees to the area. And they're either part of their control or experimental group. Mm-hmm. Any participant um, has access to any therapy if they need that, if they're if they're really in, you know nice. suffering PTSD. All of them have access to that. But uh, what they do is they're then partnered with undergraduate students. So they have a class that um, that's for two quarters and the students learn about the countries where the refugees are coming from. So at that time they were coming from Iraq, Afghanistan, and um, Democratic Republic of Congo. Mm -hmm. And so they learn about those countries. They learn about the resettlement uh, program. And that's when I learned about the whole resettlement process in the U S and really, the little support that newcomers receive, uh, I, I couldn't get over it. So, you no, know, uh, three months, uh, three months of support from the government, you know, having to pay back their their flight, their plane, their plane tickets. That's a loan, and you know, just getting started up. So, the undergrad students eventually, so they learn learn about all these um, all these steps to the resettlement process, and then they're partnered up, and they're the advocate for a family. So, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, one family had a couple advocates, one for the parents and one for the three kids. And the one, two of the children had, one had severe physical disabilities. The other Mm -hmm. um, also had some, um, we'll say, learning disabilities. And then they had this other boy who was like this soccer star. And so the advocate, what she did for him was she got him, you know, cleats and everything. He needed to join a local soccer league. And eventually Mm -hmm. he was... uh, and and people made sure that he was able to get into this elite um, league. And he was only able to because of that connection with that student. And what we did, so there were a lot of aspects to this. So the students were doctors in Iraq who needed to go back and do certain testing. They helped with that, uh, helping the kids with their school. Mm -hmm. And we would meet once a week in a learning circle. And the learning circle was um, a time to share and to learn and the advocate and the so the kids had their own program I was with I did the I worked with the kids one year the second year with the adults and with the adults they'd have different themes so maybe um, I remember like the one family they wanted to understand more about parenting and disciplining in the U.S. and what was appropriate inappropriate and so we had interpreters and and had a discussion around that. We had discussions mm-hmm. around healthcare, around you know, Martin Luther King Day we celebrated together and talked about the importance of that here in the U.S. Yeah. So just a lot of sharing. I, I loved this model. And mm-hmm. then in 2015, I moved back to Riverside. And uh, a week before I had moved back, a very dear friend of mine, uh, Celine Nielsen-Nieldis, had moved back. And Celine mm-hmm. had lived in Des Moines. Um, she, I, we met in Riverside. She had lived, lived in Des Moines, worked with a resettlement agency there and then was teaching at a university in eastern Turkey and she was teaching uh, the year when many Syrians were crossing over into Turkey and um, very close to her university there was a large refugee camp and she she started getting involved there so anyway she did a lot of work there she continues to do work there she came back and at that time exactly that time there was that photo of that drowned boy um, yes. The Syrian boy mm-hmm. and the, you know, the soldiers picking him up, and so we were just like, you know, what's going on and what can we do? And mm-hmm. um, we just gathered with some friends, very informally, and I think like ten days later, it was the United Nations International Day for Peace. So we mm-hmm. said, let's have a peace walk. So with that peace walk, we started an, <laughs> our organization. Uh, we co-founded Globally Connected, and Globally Connected. The mission for Globally Connected was to promote community building in order to support refugees.
0: Okay.
1: And um, I worked with Globally Connected up until just uh, a little over a year ago. And with Globally Connected, one of the main programs was our ESL class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So with the ESL, I mean, yeah. I can so yeah. So yeah, with that's ESL, okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. It,
0: it's it's really yeah. interesting to see, to to hear your journey. So i um, you know, <laughs> keep keep going. I, I think you know our <laughs> listeners will want to know. So where did you end up, kind of thing? Yes, go ahead. Right. Yeah.
1: So with globally connected, you know, we started here. We have a couple of adult schools. I'll say that, mm-hmm. but um, either they don't provide childcare, or um, students need some basic literacy. Right. And then here where we live, transportation is not ideal, public transportation. Mm-hmm. So I started with four women. I started a class and um, we had volunteers pick up the women, bring them to the class. We had volunteers help with childcare. Right. And it was we were meeting two hours twice a week, which is very little. At the beginning, I was like, OK, we need to get serious. Um, we only have two hours. We need to get down to the language learning and then halfway through they'd be like okay you know they bring out their tea uh, we're gonna have some tea and chat in our first language so I'm like well <laughs> okay, they're, they're adults what am I gonna do right so I'm like okay right. but we're gonna keep this short because we need to get on with this and then after some time I realized oh my gosh like they were sharing so much at that time and how mm-hmm. important it was for them to come together right. for them to come together with you know people from their own country and that could speak their language and then with The volunteers and the class grew. And I think, you know, over time we had probably easily 30 students um, coming through, mostly Afghans, uh, a Mm -hmm. few Syrians, uh, a woman from India, but always women. And we would always start in a circle. Mm -hmm. And I really felt that was important. And we started in the circle. Sometimes we do an intro, it started with kind of like introductions and a lot of repetition Mm -hmm. because we had learners, you know, truly all levels of literacy. So we had, um, like one woman who had never held a pencil in her life, um, to a woman who was a director of a private school in her country.
0: Yeah. That's a a huge, that's a huge gap and all adults, of course, all adult women. So of course they're the way you teach them, the way, you know, the way they interact with you and each other is different.
1: Definitely. So, but it was really, I felt important that we came to, we started as Mm
0: -hmm. a community
1: and, um, Share different things, and and then we'd break into groups. But I also soon learned that they all all pretty much had some kind of physical ailments, uh, mm. a lot of issues with the gut, uh, chronic back pain, headaches. Oh, wow.
0: Um,
1: and then I also just started hearing their stories, and you know, kind of uh, trauma that they had experienced in their their countries, and then just the ongoing stress of resettlement.
0: Right. Yeah. And, so let me kind of st- stop you there because we're going to get into to the, all of that um, through my questions, but uh, that's okay. But the, uh, what I wanted to do was start with my usual first question, mm-hmm. which is uh, for you personally, if I say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what comes to mind?
1: Right. So it's really like be able to show up as yourself and accept it mm-hmm. as yourself within you know a community. Um, right. Yeah. So for even like, for when I moved from Canada to the U S you could say, okay, not a big deal, but uh, I came with my husband's, basically my visa was dependent on his visa and I, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't work at first and I'd left a job I loved and my family, my friends Mm -hmm. and my culture. And I moved to Riverside and I didn't know when I'd be able to work. So I joined Mm -hmm. uh, something at the university called the international women's group. And I just always, where I went, you know, wanted to find people who mm-hmm. obviously accepted me. And then I just, you know, there was like a respect and a mutual sure. appreciation for one another in a group.
0: Right. Yeah. So obviously from all that you've been talking about so far, including that, you know, personal feeling, this idea of community is extremely important to you. And you've used that to inform what you know what you do with your adult students with the newcomers. So I, I want to go back to the story that you know of of your journey. And you were beginning to talk about you know the whole idea of women having health issues, the trauma that they had been through. You had realized that I can teach them the English language content, but there also needed to be, I guess would you call it a balance with some of the other things so go go back to that talk to me a little bit about the trauma and what what were you able to do or what can we do in those situations where newcomers are coming with little english possibly and very difficult lives
1: definitely yeah so it it is a, it's, a, it's a lot right as a, as a teacher we're not
0: trained
1: how to deal with like we'll say big emotions. Right. I was fortunate. one, we were all women. Two, mm-hmm. I didn't it was my basically it was our program, our curriculum, I didn't have any pressure from above that certain standards had to be met, certain tests had to be taken. So I had a lot of freedom and liberty. Um, mm-hmm. And in saying that, we really gave the women the space and I felt um, to to emote, honestly when they needed mm-hmm. to. And I did it because I felt that they, well, one, they, they were able to open up because they really trusted us, but -hmm. also even some of the volunteers in the program had background. Like I had one woman uh, who was volunteering, who was a marriage and family therapist. You know, I had another uh, woman who would volunteer. She was a pastor. I had people that really were able to provide that support. Um, So, uh, But in saying that, I still felt we needed more. And um, Mm -hmm. I connected with a local psychiatrist, Dr. Marianne Shepard. And Mm -hmm. she had just come back from Lebanon. She was due, she had gone, I think she's gone two or three times now. And Mm -hmm. working with a group of Syrian women. And she continues to do teletherapy. And then she found out there was something happening locally. So we connected with her.
0: And she came
1: to, yeah, she came to our class um, over, I think it was like 10 months. Mm -hmm. She'd come once a month. And provide strategies around coping with stress mm-hmm. and, and you know, kind of talking about the brain and, and, and what happens when we're under, you know, a lot of stress. Um, we did meditation. Uh, she brought in, like, we, we connected to the, the senses, you know, we did this whole thing around smelling different things and, mm-hmm. you know, really opened up. And for the women, it was extremely powerful. Um, right. And there's a few things. One, they were just really grateful for these strategies. Like, you know, and we, and, and actually we also did something called the O'Connor really uh, resiliency scale. So we did have the women do this scale at the beginning and how they felt they were coping midway through at the end. Um, oh, that's
0: interesting. That'd make a great study. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we haven't really actually done anything formal mm-hmm. with it um, yet. Yeah, but we just wanted to, see. and obviously, and the, and the most important thing at the beginning was to show these women like, oh my gosh, like you're incredibly resilient and strong, uh, and not, you know, just for them to even recognize their own strength because sometimes right. they didn't see that. Um,
0: right.
1: That was really powerful. Um, can, can I fast. ask
0: you for that resiliency study? What are some of the things that they ask or they look for? Um, you know, we use the word resilience, but I don't know that we all understand exactly what that means, especially for Newcomers, those who have come out of difficult situations, as especially as adults, um, they're you know it's not as easy for them to b- bounce back. So, in terms of resilience, because obviously midway through, if you did it at the beginning, midway through, and then at the end, you could see changes. So first, you know what what does that look like? What does the resilience look like in terms of you know practical kinds of things, and then. What did you notice in terms of the interventions that you did? I guess they were interventions, right? Um, right. For the women to see uh, if there was value for those interventions.
1: Right, so I honestly, I can't remember the exact, like you know the wording, but it was kind of just even like, a, it was like a giving yourself a rating uh, on how mm-hmm. well you were able to even kind of like bounce back after certain things gotcha. happened in your life. Um, sure. how, how confident you feel in yourself mm-hmm. um, I can go look at the resiliency scale, but I will say qualitatively what we gained was like you know you know talking to the women, mm-hmm. different things like one woman was going through an extremely stressful situation. She had been in a car accident, and mm-hmm. I and I knew that um, you know they had also talked about what they did for themselves, right, um, mm-hmm. to take care of themselves and their their emotional well-being, and so I knew that prayer was important for all of these women, and especially for this woman. And so I honestly, I kind of assumed she was going to say that, well, I, I'm praying a lot. and But she said, you know, I've been I've been breathing. I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, oh, like Dr. Marianne taught us, take deep breaths oh, to sit wow. and wait before I just say, you know, just. And then another woman said the same thing that she started in the morning. She would wake up, go to her balcony and just really take in deep breaths and kind of mm-hmm. uh, and give gratitude for the the start of a new day. Really powerful. The awesome. other thing. The, actually the one thing they said that was i guess most transformative for them was when mm-hmm. dr marianne who they saw as a successful professional educated woman mm-hmm. shared her own challenges when she shared her own vulnerability oh. her own struggles and how mm-hmm. she got through them and they' were just like oh that's something we just don't do that right we as a, as a we you know you've got to always be strong and oh,
0: so wow so, yeah you have but, to appear
1: that way right mm-hmm yeah. So that really allowed them to feel like, oh, I, I can also share nice. and open up. Definitely could see a, a, a huge change with them.
0: Big aha moment for them, yeah.
1: For sure. And even before Dr. Marianne uh, started mm-hmm. coming, honestly, coming together as a community was
0: yeah. huge. Right.
1: The one thing we did in 2019 was we, we connected with a, a nonprofit that's a literary organization here, and they sent... Um, a facilitator for the women to write poetry once a month and to share their stories. So, as I said, some of these women, very limited English, but there was always, because it was a multi-level class, Mm -hmm. we would have them maybe just tell their, you know, their story, their poem and their friend would write it in in Pashto or Farsi. And then we would translate it.
0: Okay.
1: We did that with the women and with our, with the women, with the students and the Mm -hmm. volunteers because we are a community, right? The, the, the community involved all of us. Right. And, it, you know, I said at the beginning of this, of the book, that the volunteers, some, some of them were more hesitant to write the poetry than the women. So a woman who has no literacy skills, you asked her to write a poem and she was all about it. So I don't know if I can share a poem, but it kind of also talks to what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, so the book ahead. is called um, The Stranger is My Friend.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, this was a poem written by six of the women. Ziagul, okay. Farishta, Nazreen, Adila, Mabuba, and Famida. Go ahead. Right. Um, when I came to this strange country, this strange place, every day I'm so upset. The tears flow on my face. I miss my country and my family and my old home. My eyes stay red with crying. I feel so alone when suddenly... I think about how hard and difficult this all is. And a person appears in front of me just like this and changes my sadness and makes my pain pass. And we come together in class and laugh and laugh and laugh.
0: Wow. That's so
1: powerful. So it just speaks to how important the role of a teacher is, right? We are often the first person and especially for, I'll say again, women with the the women in my class, all their husbands were working. Most of their husbands had very good English skills. They worked with the U.S. military. But for these women, and they have children, they would connect with people from their community, yes. and that would be it. And then they came to the English classroom, and then that opened up a whole new world. Um, right. and, and, and you know, this, this idea, like, I always think about, like, where somebody's staying at home in isolation. You know, it's really hard to, like, break out of that kind of sadness and and despair alone so coming together so i definitely switched from my like you know initial we've got two hours of english and we're going to be studying english (laughs) to oh no 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 this is a community and within Mm -hmm. this community we're going to study english together
0: right and did you find as a result that they learned more of the language as because they were relaxed. They were using it to socialize. Definitely,
1: definitely. And when yeah. when and when people are are sharing from their heart, mm-hmm. they want to be able to communicate it, right? And so those are the words. Those are the definitely. Uh, and you know, for some of the women, it t- it, it took a long time to produce, right? Mm-hmm. So, but they talked about how much they could understand the beginning, like literally. There was okay. like they felt that there was like nothing. It was just. Mm. Gobbly goop, shall I say? Yes. Um, yeah. But over time, first, yeah, the, the mm. you know, re- receptive skills were very strong. And, and then with time, you know, more production.
0: Right. Yeah. It was interesting. Um, one of my previous uh, podcast guests is uh, Tan Nguyen, and he teaches in, um, right now he's in Bangkok, Thailand, but he was talking about the importance of home language. And you know, their their native language. So I know that you mentioned that the first indication you had of the fact that they needed to socialize was them taking out their tea cups and tea and, and starting to talk to each other in their in their native or home language. What value have you seen in practical terms of them being able to use that language in order to be able to learn English or another language?
1: Using their first language? There t- I always felt like I wanted a balance between, well, you say accuracy and fluency, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you need to teach to the level they're at. You don't want to overwhelm a person, right? right. Uh, but when the person is an adult with, uh, you know, abstract mm-hmm. concepts and they really want to share something from their heart,
0: mm-hmm.
1: one, I don't want the language to be the barrier to that. Right. So I want them to be able to express it in their first language if need be. But like I said, when they are expressing from the heart, they want to know those words. So things like um, we would go around and we would introduce ourselves and we might give an adjective to describe ourselves. So I am whatever. I'm powerful. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Those are, not, those are not beginner level words. But right. when that's you and then if every person's repeating like, you know, whatever. Yes. Sherry is creative and Eileen is, and then you're hearing it again and again about yourself. Oh, okay, you're gonna really own that. Right. That word because that's mm-hmm. who you are. So it is this like I do feel you need to have a balance. And I know our field has gone from the like an you know, okay, knowing, you know, no first language in the classroom to yes, we can have it. And and I do feel like there needs to be this balance. So that's why right. in the learning circle, we would definitely have different languages because sometimes. I needed to share something even happening in the community or some news, whatever it was, that had to be in the first language because I wanted to be certain that they understood it. But you always want them to, obviously to be learning the language, the new language. Sure.
0: Yeah. You talk, uh, you've m- mentioned several times about starting off the class in a circle and, and talking in these circles. Obviously, for a sense of belonging and so forth, being in a circle is really important. Was there a particular reason that you chose starting with the circle? What what the, did the circle represent to you, or represent to them, in terms of why you started the class each time that way?
1: Yeah, it was. It went back to you know what I the experience I had in Albuquerque with the learning circles, but I love this idea of everyone seeing each other, because nice. so many classrooms. You see somebody's back
0: oh that's right? right or you see the yes. side
1: but here we're all facing each other right um you know there's uh, there's an openness to that an openness mm-hmm. in your body and um so just yeah seeing each other and that we all start together as a community mm-hmm. right we are a community right. uh, and we really want to see you and hear from you yes. and then okay and then we can like break into the groups and and then get down to the language learning right. but this circle is a powerful way of really everyone being seen and heard and we would always do something where it could be just a quick introduction Mm
0: -hmm.
1: an introduction and where you're from an introduction uh you know where where you live now sometimes a circle was was kind of this maybe as a segue into you know what my where my passion has led me is is really creating a a community for teachers we all there's a lot of talk now around trauma-informed practice Yes. Right, looking at the whole learner, social mm-hmm. emotional learning, mm-hmm. and I really feel that this is key. And starting in the circle, I think is part of it. Right, it's part of this that your you're community. You're not. It's not. It can't just be about the academics because right. when my students walk through the door, I mean, it was very difficult for them to get right to the language learning. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on. Uh, you know, sometimes they'd be sharing what happened in the news the night before. Maybe they hadn't been able to get able to reach a family member, and there had been mm-hmm. a bomb in that part of the city. Yes, there was. All, and and you know, how can you? How could we expect a learner to just get they to learn? They can't
0: learning? just yeah. They can't just yeah. put all that aside and say, okay, now I'm in the classroom, and so I'm not going to think about those things. It would be lovely if we could compartmentalize our needs yeah. like that. But that's why they emphasize the whole, which you just spoke about, the whole social emotional learning and the fact that we need to establish these relationships through these communities because they're coming into a situation that's uncomfortable for them, learning a new language and putting themselves out there, um, making mistakes and things like that. That can be very stressful. And on top of the personal stress that they're having, so you're right. You need to overcome all of that. So yes, that's where I wanted to go next. So you, you have established transformational learning communities. You're putting that together right now. So I'd love for you to talk about that and the move into uh, training teachers or supporting teachers in, in different ways in order for them to understand the things that you've come to know.
1: Right, like I said, I I have been so fortunate to work with people like Dr. Marianne, with the literary facilitators, and I see the power of this. Right, and like I said, my my always my thing has been, and I think of people in isolation. I just I want to bring people together, and I think in our field in particular, in ESL, mm-hmm. ESL teachers, some of them work in, for a school district, some of them work for a college, some of them work for a nonprofit, some for a resettlement agency, mm-hmm. somewhat of a church, some of a synagogue, some of a so some yes. have support some mm-hmm. have support but all a lot of teachers don't and they're just kind of getting on on their own and trying to figure yes. it out and i and i know that there are so many people doing amazing things right now around trauma-informed practices you know creativity in the classroom um you know like movement uh you know you know i talk about like you know the outside of the inside sometimes it would be like literally like shaking it off you'd be doing a meditation but Like And so if we could come together, and this is what I'm starting, to learn from each other, to support each other, to uplift each other, I I just think it's going to serve our students. And then, you know, if you think about, you know, serving your students, of course, the ripple effect. Right. But really, always everything comes down to ourselves also. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're a giver, and that means if you're a teacher, you're giving a lot. So also it's like, you know, taking care of yourself and that's like absolutely
0: especially having... these these days but always yes oh yeah mm-hmm.
1: definitely and often you know people get in this field are very compassionate people uh have big hearts are empaths and um it can be it can be very draining right oh, so you I see the love... burnout
0: yes yeah burnout and just the, the exhaustion really
1: right so i like I said, what I don't have a background in psychology, psychiatry, trauma practice. Have I read mm-hmm. a lot? Yes, um, but I feel like you know, teachers, unlike social workers, we just haven't, we didn't get that training um, on how to kind of have a container for ourselves, for our classroom that's safe. What to do when mm-hmm. big emotions come up? You know, because we don't. I, mean, I don't think we don't want to brush it under the anything. We don't want to like suppress, but we want to feel confident that we know what to do when this happens absolutely you're so right sherry so a transformational learning communities the vision is really just to to create a to come together as a community uh, you know kind of of teachers to uplift each other to learn from each other Um, you know we'll be providing some classes and some workshops really we'll you know we're just starting this facebook community and we wanted to a place as i said just to share and to learn from each other
0: and i love that the initials are tlc
1: yeah yeah it started with esl and tlc and i'm going to see because i've you know this psychiatrist i'm working with she's like well you know maybe it could go to other communities and Mm -hmm. without a doubt a lot of what we're doing and a lot of what i've been reading on trauma informed a lot of it's for k through 12 but a lot of that is still applicable um, oh of
0: course and you've been using it with adult adult women students right yeah so you know that it works but we tend, we tend to sort of look at it as K to 12 or K to 16 or just university or, you know, adult ed all, all the time. Just, you know, does it fit here? Does it fit here? But when we're talking trauma informed practice and social emotional learning, it, it really, I think these days we already know that it obviously is useful for everybody. But I love the exactly. fact that yeah, I love the fact that you're you're beginning to focus on or that you want to focus on the teacher and it's so fascinating the journey that you've taken in all practical senses because as you've said you you're not trained in those particular fields you sort of became trained or well read in them because they are a passion for you and as far as somebody looking to see where passion, our passions can lead us, uh, they can lead us to really amazing things. And sometimes we have to think about, okay, I may not have the degree, but in many ways, I'm still qualified, or I'm going to connect like you have Mm -hmm. to people who do have the qualifications and figure out how we can network and work together to make that happen. So, Tell me a little bit more. I know that you're just started, starting to work on TLC as a as a project, as as something hopefully for the future. What do you hope that will look like? What are the things you're working on right now? And um, can our listeners get involved in any way yet? And if not, when can they get involved with what you're doing?
1: All right. I started with a Facebook group last summer, and uh, I was pretty excited and. You know, different teachers came in not always like adult ed, ed uh, ESL instructors but different mm-hmm. teachers but at that time honestly there wasn't a lot of traction and I feel like teachers were like they were getting geared up for the fall um, they were overwhelmed. overwhelmed and then and honestly then I had a uh, something personal uh, happened that took me away for a number of months
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that Facebook has been kind of sitting dormant but I want to start that again uh with dr marianne and um her daughter julie dr julia strilla who's also a therapist we're going to do a master class we don't have a date yet but we're looking at the beginning of april for teacher burnout um which sounds so but um you know we we hope to like think about like more of that the 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 ignite you know that 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 spark Mm -hmm. that's still there you're going to ignite that right Um, i kind of want to take from more of a an abundance rather than a lack um, yes sense of of Mm life so teachers are struggling i know it's near the end of the year but this is a perfect time strategy. i
0: think yes i think this is a perfect time i don't know if you've heard of clubhouse i haven't really been able to jump on too much but that's another possibility although facebook seems to be really popular with educators but clubhouse seems to have been getting a lot of traction also but if yeah. you already have your, yeah but if you already have the you know the facebook group you might want well, to well and that i know first. that all
1: Yeah, uh, Facebook, people, you know, not everybody's crazy, about Facebook. But at this point, this is a platform. And I'll say, um, just to share a funny story from TESOL 2019, I hadn't gone to a convention for years. I went on the last day, there was a session, something like mindfulness in the classroom or whatever it was. I was like, okay, perfect. This is exactly what I'm interested in. I go, Mm -hmm. I don't know, there might have been 50, 60 people in the room. We're waiting, waiting. And... The presenters never show up.
0: Oh how awful. Oh that happens <laughs> like, sometimes. yeah right. That's so oh but goodness. then I'm just looking
1: around I'm like I bet you people in this room have something to say. So I, I just I, I don't know. I got inspired. Yay yeah, for sharing good <laughs> for you. So I'm like okay. I said like you know Kind of share what I was doing in my classroom. And so people got up and they were sharing books they had written, um, you know, things that I had been doing. And then out of that, a few of us continued the conversation after, you know, these conventions. And then uh, the one woman who seemed to be the more tech friendly one, she's like, I really don't like Facebook. Let's start a Yahoo group. So anyway, needless to say, the <laughs> Yahoo Group fell flat because it is just not user friendly. No, it is. But so for for now, Facebook, I I have been invited to Clubhouse. Um, mm-hmm. I've been I have been hesitant just because I think, oh my gosh, more social media. and Do I want to mm-hmm. step into I something know. else? But but I am intrigued and and yeah, yeah who knows? Whatever is going to be the easiest way for teachers to connect and for it to be yeah. meaningful. I, I The last thing I want to do is to have something that's like, oh gosh, this is something else I'm part of. No, I want this to be, right. oh my gosh, this is something I'm part of and this is alleviating my stress or it's like giving me some ideas, yes. giving me some, uh, some excitement to uh, to use yes. this strategy or whatever it may be in the classroom.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, that could be so powerful. For for those who are listening, uh, I definitely want to be sure that when this episode comes out, that that's included. The the, the link is included uh, in the show notes, and that we um, continue to put that out. Are you on any other social media besides Facebook? Are you on Twitter or anything like that?
1: No, no. But I think okay. it's I think it's time for me to get have an Instagram account. Oh,
0: Mm. well, I don't know. For me, uh, Instagram is good. Instagram is good, but Twitter is an amazing platform for for professional learning networks and and professional learning communities. I highly advise it. If you're going to start off with anything, I would say, yeah, definitely Twitter. But don't let me steer you, you know, and for Mm. me, I like Instagram, but because it's so photo-based or video-based, sometimes what you're talking about doesn't necessarily have that photo attached to it and to have to create something with it, but that's just me.
1: In all honesty, I'll share now, I would love to start a podcast and I want to start a podcast, you know, it's similar to what you're doing, but it's um, mm-hmm. I want to bring in best practices. So people who are right. either, te- you know, educators are um, researchers or mm-hmm. people doing other kinds of projects working um, with Refugee and immigrant populations, and yeah. then what I would love to hear from is also the our students, right? And the what what yes. what has helped them? What has supported them? What has been successful for them? Yes. Uh, to share that with teachers because it's we have to hear. You know, it, it, we, obviously we just learn from each other. So hearing- sure, and
0: everybody has a story to tell, which is really important in terms of of their learning and their experiences. That would be really an awesome podcast.
1: Yeah, because I want to know, like, when is it that kind of like they feel like they be, it belong, like when, mm-hmm. like for a refugee, like, when is it, like, when when was that turning point? Because mm-hmm. I moved to the U.S., but you could say it was my choice, right? I moved to a new country. I went through a resettlement process, you'll say. Not, not but I mean, not resettlement, but, you know, getting situated in acclimated
0: home. sure yeah acclimated to, um, to a slightly different culture and a certainly a different community without your family so there were some right. parallels yeah
1: some parallels but of course you know i could travel back and they mm-hmm. could come and visit yes. but it's just hearing from everyone um, right. all those you know so it's from this the student and the educator uh, mm-hmm. and learning from each other
0: right so yeah. that we
1: can have best practices
0: that's true. Yeah, that's great, Sherry. Uh, it's been wonderful, and uh, I hate that we're getting towards the end. Is there anything else that you wanted to share uh, with the listeners, or any other advice you wanted to give them?
1: Yes, talking about community is really important, and what the community that we foster in the classroom, and that community is built on, has to be built on trust. That's mm-hmm. imperative for, for right. a community to, to flourish really the idea that you know that community starting there can extend beyond the classroom and that's what's really important right when the when the students feel secure and accepted in their in this community they can branch out so uh, in the case with Globally Connected we did things from um, we we had our classes Mm -hmm. in a church and that church just provided the space every Thursday another organization would come and feed the homeless Mm -hmm. and um, when we talked to the women during the holy month of Ramadan, they talked about one of the things that they always do during that time is help those more in need. Right. And so they came up with the idea of of them preparing the hot meal for the homeless. Wow! And so it was beautiful. So not to put down what they usually get, but I'm telling you, the Afghan food is amazing. So the women brought the food in. I expected that the one woman who was kind of the spokesperson who had the best English would go in maybe say something to a group of predominantly men Uh, there was mostly there were a few women in there but mostly men but what happened was they all came and they all stood behind the food and the one woman did speak on their behalf her English was the best and and what they talked about was how difficult it was of course to leave their home but Mm -hmm. that they feel safe here and that um, they're just so grateful for the community and it was just really beautiful i mean and 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 of course the people at the meal just loved it so with something like that there are many layers because it's not just giving back but when we contribute that's when you're really part of a community and i think for so many you know people with refugee backgrounds when they come to a new country they do need a lot of we'll say stuff Right. There's a lot of like mm-hmm. donations for them to get their home set up. Right. They need maybe donations for their kids, school supplies. They need. To, mm-hmm. Okay. Nobody likes, we'll say handouts, but I mean, we know it's necessary, but, but when they can start giving back. So they did that. Um, they made these blankets uh, that Selenma, the co-founder of Globally Connected brought to Turkey and uh, they gave it to the, some children that are in the streets uh, in wow. Istanbul they they became entrepreneurs these women and they started prepare, making their own jewelry and selling them at oh, craft gosh. sales.
0: Wow.
1: They we ha- actually we hosted a, an interfaith iftar
0: mm-hmm.
1: where um, again they catered the food people you know gave us a well donation to cover the cost of the food and we had this beautiful cultural event. But nice. it was only because it, it, but really it, these things have to start in the classroom. I mean, they don't have to, start, but that's a, 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 it's a really great place to foster that sense of community. Right. And, and that, Oh, they are accepted and, and it is safe. And, and there's, and you know, especially when you're bringing in, I I'm a huge proponent of volunteer support of community connections you know, yes. we can't do every one we can't do anything on our own but also it's like it's better to have more voices and more experiences sure. and more connections to that community because oh they know someone that you know can help out so mm-hmm. definitely um
0: and they're also important. learning to to learning about other communities you know mm-hmm. and the others are learning that there are all these different people with different jobs and people willing to and how empowering is that and that just so wonderful for their self esteem too, for them to be able to go out to to their community and finally give back.
1: There's nothing more powerful than giving, right? Than and then like yeah. giving from your heart, right. um, not where you're like depleted, but when you're really like giving something uh, because you want to. That's right. when you feel like okay, I'm giving to my I'm giving to my community. Yes. It's not just so it's a reciprocal exchange. Yes.
0: Yeah. So Sherry. Um, where is the best place? I know you're sort of in transition now, mm-hmm. moving to the TLC, that you know, transformational learning communities, and getting yourself on social media and so forth. So, right now, where is the best place for people to find you or get in touch with you? Is it your email? Is it uh, Facebook, the Facebook group?
1: Well, definitely um, email for sure. So, it's um, ESL with TLC at gmail dot com and the facebook group is there and they just need to ask to join and they can be part of it. and that's also esl with tlc okay
0: perfect. the
1: the website will be coming soon hopefully in the next couple of weeks uh, transformational learning communities perfect and uh hopefully a twitter account you <laughs> me you've sold me
0: and if you need any help let me know Sherry, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. It has truly been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website. Journeys to Belonging. That's Journeys Number Two Belonging. Com. See you next week.